0: have your Bible device, James chapter 4. That was our scripture reading this morning. That's where we're going to spend our time during the sermon portion this morning, James chapter 4. Man, I'm glad that you're here. It's good to be here today. Uh, For the month of July, uh, my plan is to do a sermon series that I titled Beyond Yourself. You see, right now on planet Earth, we have roughly around seven billion people, probably a little bit more than that. Obviously, that That number is constantly changing every day. But around 7 billion people. And in this town, in Longview, there's around 80 to 85,000. And then I am just one out of 80,000, and I'm just one out of 7 billion. It makes me feel kind of small when I think about it like that. Uh, The average life expectancy is around 71 to 72 years old. Now, give or take a few on that as well. So when I think about life and how many people are on this earth and our limited years that we have, one of the things that I'm dwelling on as I read the scriptures, as we, at this church here, we get ready to fulfill this vision that we have prayed about and laid out in these seven commitments, I think about how do we live in a way, how do we live out this vision and these seven commitments in a way that will not only will see the kingdom of God coming here and now, but will bless future generations. For those who will come after us. How do we live beyond ourselves? And so we're going to look at that for the month of July. We'll look at different Bible characters and different passages that that I believe deals with this subject of living beyond yourself. And so for today, we're going to start in James chapter 4. How many of you know what this is, this picture? This is called a VCR. So for younger people... You don't know what a VCR is. You have DVR or Netflix or Apple TV or something like that. Uh, Growing up, I had a VCR. This was even before DVD players came around. So a VCR works like this. You see the picture of it for the young people. You grab a tape and you put a tape inside of it and you can play movies or TV shows or you could put a blank tape in there and you could actually record live TV, which was the coolest thing in the world growing up. Now we're a little bit more advanced than that. So growing up, me and my family we were huge Dallas Cowboy fans. Hopefully we have a lot of those at this church and I'll be able to get along with you just fine. But we were Dallas Cowboy fans and every Sunday afternoon when the Cowboys would play at the 3.30 time slot, we would go to what's called Sunday Night Church. Some of you may not know what that is either. You don't know what a VCR is or Sunday Night Church, but at 6 o'clock we had Sunday Night Church. And so somewhere midway through the third quarter... About 5:45, my mom would say, "Turn off the TV, we're going to church." So we would set the recorder for the Cowboys game, and then we would come home after church, and we would try to dodge people so no one would ruin the score for us if somebody knew the outcome of the game, and we would go home and we would put the tape back in that we recorded the game on and we would try to rewind and fast forward and try to get to the spot where we had left off. But we had this old dusty VCR but sometimes would get stuck and sometimes didn't work correctly. So we'd rewind and then we'd press fast forward. And if you remember on VCRs, you could press stop and then fast forward and it would fast forward much faster. Do you remember this? Okay, and so we'd press stop and fast forward and we'd try to catch up somewhere in the third quarter. And when the VCR is fast forwarding, it makes this noise, this winding noise. It's like... When you press stop and fast forward, it picks up and and it's picking up speed, and it's going, getting faster and faster. And occasionally, our VCR would get stuck and fast forward. And I'd get so frustrated because I'd press stop or pause or play or whatever, trying to stop it, and I couldn't do anything about it. And I could just hear that buzzing noise, that winding noise, getting faster and faster, and I knew, I'm just going to have to let it get to the end of the tape and start over. And when it would get to the end of the tape, it would make this popping noise. Pop. And then you knew you are at the end of the tape. And then I have to start over and rewind. A few years ago, I was thinking about my life, doing a little self-reflection. and the passage we're going to read this morning, uh, James says, What is your life? He poses that question. It's a great question. So I was thinking about my life. What is my life? And I thought about that VCR, and I thought about how that VCR is kind of like a metaphor for my life. Somewhere in the last few years, I feel like somebody snuck up behind me Press fast forward, and it's stuck in fast forward right now. Like there's nothing I can do. I'm I'm trying to stop it. I'm trying to pause it. I'm trying to slow it down. But a lot of you know what I'm talking about. It feels like your life is on fast forward, and each year just goes by faster and faster. And I can't slow it down. Young people, you may not feel that way right now, but you will soon. I've heard someone say about raising children, the days go by really slowly, but the years go by quickly. Life is passing us by, life is going at a rapid race, a rapid speed, and I think that James chapter 4 speaks to this. So i want to look at James 4 this morning and just look at each verse, study through this, starting in James chapter 4, verse 13. He says, Come now, you who say, today or tomorrow we will go to such and such town, spend a year there doing business and making money. Uh, Probably what James is referring to here are merchants, traveling merchants, people who would travel around from town to town, set up businesses, and make money. And they would make these plans, but the problem was, in their plans, God had nothing to do with it. God was not in their plans. Their focus, their priority, was to go somewhere and to make money. It was revolving around making money. You've heard the old saying, Uh, Tell God your plans, and God laughs. Because we may have plans, but we don't know what the future will hold. But these people, and James, if you read the entire letter of James, he has a lot to say about those who are wealthy, and they use their wealth uh, to dominate others and to withhold money from others. And he has a lot to say about that. And here he's saying, you make these plans to go and to make money, and you're going to go do this or that. And to me, it reminds me, of Luke chapter 12, the parable of the rich fool. In Luke chapter 12, these brothers come up to Jesus, and apparently their father had passed away because the oldest son would receive the inheritance. And I guess the younger brother is arguing with the older brother, and he comes up to Jesus and he says, Teacher, tell my brother to divide the inheritance with me. Give me some of the money. And then Jesus responds by saying, I'm not the judge between you two. And he warns the crowd. He says, watch out for for greed, for the love of money. He said, a man's life does not consist in the abundance of his possessions. And then he tells this parable, the parable of the rich fool, about a man who does quite well with his crops. He has an abundant amount. So he decides he's going to tear down his barns and build bigger ones. And then he's going to say to himself, I've got a lot. Just take it easy, eat, drink, and be happy. But then in this parable, Jesus says, You fool, this very day, this very hour, your life will be demanded of you. Then what's going to happen with all this stuff that you've accumulated? And then he warns again to watch out for greed and for the love of money and not being rich towards God. That's the parable in Luke chapter 12. And James chapter 4 and verse 13 reminds me of this parable. James, who most assume is the half-brother of Jesus, probably is influenced by Jesus, Maybe influenced by this parable. You make these plans, you want to make money, and there's nothing wrong with that. We all make plans. We all have to survive. But if that's your your focus and God's not in your plans, then you're missing something. And Jesus tells us in that parable, this very day your life could be demanded of you, And in James chapter 4, and verse 14, that first half of verse 14, says, yet you do not know what tomorrow will bring. You make these plans, but you don't know what tomorrow will bring. You don't even know if tomorrow is promised. A man named John Ortberg, he's one of my favorite Christian authors, wrote a book called God is Closer Than You Think. And in this book, he says, that in the English language, the word tomorrow is the most dangerous word. And he goes on to explain, and he uses Pharaoh as an example from Exodus chapter 8. You know the story of the Exodus. God has called Moses to to go into Egypt and bring the Israelites out of slavery, and Pharaoh is hard-hearted, and he's not letting God's people go. So God sends these plagues. And in Exodus chapter 8, he sends a plague of frogs, which... You know, when we first hear that, that may, that may not sound too bad. Well, what's wrong with frogs? But in Exodus chapter 8, we're told that the frogs will be everywhere. They'll be in your palace, in your bedchamber, and in your bed. Imagine frogs being in your bed, into the houses of your officials and of your people, and into your ovens and your bowls. They'll come up on you and your people and your officials. So what happens with the plague of frogs is they are Everywhere. You go into your house and they're hopping around all over your house. You try to cook in your oven, the frogs are in your oven. You try to go to bed, you pull back the sheets and there's frogs everywhere. There's a plague of frogs. So I hope that sounds miserable to you like it does to me. I would not like that. You go outside in the streets, everywhere you go, frogs everywhere. So Pharaoh obviously is miserable with this and this is what he says. He calls Moses and Aaron in verse 8 of Exodus chapter 8. He said, pray to the Lord to take away the frogs for me and my people And I will let the people go sacrifice to the Lord. So he has this request. You have this connection with Yahweh. Pray to him. And please take these frogs away. And Moses cuts him a deal. And in verse 9 he said to Pharaoh, Tell me when I am to pray for you and your officials and for your people that the frogs may be removed from you and your houses and be left only in the Nile. So Tell me when. Pharaoh has the luxury of choosing when to take the frogs away. And look at what he says in verse 10 of Exodus chapter 8. Pharaoh's response is, tomorrow. Take them away tomorrow. How miserable is he with all of these frogs How miserable are all the people? And he has the option of saying, let's do this right now. That's what I would say. Pray right now to take the frogs away. But yet he says, tomorrow. So it's almost like he would rather live in a frog-saturated world than have to deal with God. Let's put off dealing with God one more day in hopes that maybe I can handle this myself. My own willpower, my own self-will, maybe I'll get rid of the frogs, and I won't have to rely on God to help me through it. So he says, ask for the frogs to be removed tomorrow, not today. And in a lot of ways, I'm kind of like Pharaoh, and I'm sure a lot of you are as well. We put things off until tomorrow. We, We as young families, sometimes we say, you know what, we're busy with kids, We'll get a little more serious about this whole God thing, our spiritual lives, later on in life. But right now, we're too busy. Or we say, I, I know I'm struggling with this habit or whatever it is, but I'll deal with that later on in life. And we put stuff off, just like Pharaoh's doing. Let's we'll deal with this tomorrow. A man named David Pears, this is on your bulletin insert, uh, if you're filling in the blanks there. He, he calls this motivated irrationality. And a definition of motivated irrationality is this. People persistently tolerate and maintain behavioral patterns that destroy their lives. Let me read that again. Motivated irrationality is where people pr- persistently tolerate and maintain behavioral patterns that destroy their own lives. This is putting things off until tomorrow. This is motivated irrationality. This is an addiction, a habit, a sin. A banged-up relationship. Something that you know you probably need help with. A sin you know you need to confess. Something you know you need to deal with that's destroying you. That's destroying your marriage or relationships. But yet we put it off. Say, I'll deal with that another time. And we just tolerate whatever it is that's actually destroying us. And he calls that motivated irrationality. We put things off until tomorrow. But James 4.14, he says... We don't know what tomorrow will bring, so why are we putting things off until tomorrow? I read a, a poem one time, and I don't remember who wrote it, so I don't know who to give credit to. But they, in this poem, it talks about how we can't wait until tomorrow. So when you're in high school, and you're getting older, you can't wait until you get to college. Because when you get to college, you'll finally be free. And then you get to college, and you're free. And then you meet someone, you fall in love, and you say, I can't wait until we get married. And then you get married. And then you say, I can't wait until we have kids. And then you have kids. And then you have these little kids in your house, and you're so busy and stressed out, and you're like, I want to travel to this place or that place. There's a lot of things I want to do. So when the kids get older, I can't wait till the kids get older so I can go do the things that I want to do. And then your kids get older, and they repeat the same cycle. They want their freedom. They go to college. They get married they have kids, so now you have grandkids. And at the end of this poem, they say, where did all the time go? And life happens when you're planning the next big thing. We're always looking at how we'll take care of this or that, or we'll do this or that tomorrow, later on in life. And then we look back and we say, wait a minute. Where did all the time go? Those were the good old days, and I miss them. Was a very popular TV show came out uh, over a decade ago, and, and the show ended after about seven or eight seasons, and on the very last episode, one of the characters said something that, that stood out to me, something I won't forget. He said, I wish there was a way to know that you're in the good old days before you actually left them. We look back on life with this rosy retrospect. Well, we look back on things, and, and we look at how great they were. And we remember the positive things, but when we're in the moment, when we're in today... We don't always know how to enjoy it and how to appreciate this gift of life that God has given us today, that God's presence is here with us now. That's God's irreplaceable gift to you is that God is with us today here in this place. And back to James chapter 4 and verse 14, he says, Why do you make all these plans to go and make money and do this or that? When you don't know what tomorrow will bring. And then he follows that, the second half of verse 14. And he says, what is your life? He poses this question. All great teachers know how to ask great questions. Just look at the Gospels. Look at Jesus. He's always responding to a question with another question. And here James says, what is your life? He wants you to contemplate. What is your life? And then he says, you are a mist that appears for a little while and then vanishes. Well, you know that verse. You've probably heard that before. And sometimes I look at that verse and I think, that's a little cryptic. Like it almost sounds pessimistic. But I think what James is doing is he's just being realistic. Uh, the house that we live in currently in Mount Pleasant, uh, we don't have backyard neighbors, which has been great. So we walk outside the backyard, and there's a church behind us and a parking lot, and we have this large window in our, in our kitchen, And I I look out the back window, and to the right I can see the church and the church parking lot, but to the left, way off in the distance, there's woods. But before you get to the woods, there's a, a large field with some rolling hills. And occasionally, and this is rare, when I'm up, when the sun is starting to come up, I usually try to sleep past that part. But when I'm up, and I look out the window, and I'm making my coffee, I look out there, and there's this foggy mist over that field. And man, it looks so cool. Sometimes I'll go out in the backyard and I'll just stare at it. So if you want to buy a house in Mount Pleasant, there's another bonus for you. But I'll look at that mist, I'll drink some coffee, and it's like, man, that looks really cool. I want to take a picture. I'll go back in the bedroom, I'll start getting ready, and I come back out and it's gone. The sun's coming up, the fog is lifted, the mist is gone. And James says, that's kind of what life is like. We're like that mist that appears for just a little while in the morning. And then it's gone just as quick as it came. What is your life? You're a mist that appears for a little while and then vanishes. So what's James trying to get at here? In the Greek, if you didn't know this, the New Testament was originally written in Koine Greek. We've translated into English. So you're reading a translation when we read English. But in the original Greek, there were two words to describe time. Two words is transliterated here on your PowerPoint. The first word is this word chronos. This is where we get the word chronological, like chronological order. So chronos refers to time that is measurable. So you could lay your life out like on a timeline and you have when you're born and then at the end is when you die and in between are significant moments like Hopefully, when you're baptized, that's a significant moment for you. When you're married, when you have kids, and you have this timeline, that's chronos. If you read the Greek, chronos is the most frequently used word referring to time. This is how we, we measure times, where we get hours and days and weeks and years, chronos. That makes sense. But then there's this other word referring to time, and this word is the word kairos, kairos. And kairos is a significant word. Kairos happens within Chronos, but kairos refers to an opportune time, a significant moment in history that can never be repeated, a one and only event. So, for example, in Galatians chapter 4, when Paul writes this letter to this church, in Galatians chapter 4 and verse 4, he says, "...in the fullness of time." In the fullness of time, God sent his son, born of a woman, born under the law. And he's referring to the incarnation, referring to God becoming a human being, Jesus in the flesh. And he says, This is a kairos moment, an opportune time. Like God knew what he was doing, sending Jesus at that point in human history. Not now, not years before it, but at that point, born under the law, born under a woman. In Israel, dominated by the Roman Empire, like that was the kairos moment for Christ to come. in the fullness of time. This significant moment that can never be repeated. And I think about what James is saying in James chapter 4. And he says, what is your life? You're just this mist that appears for a little while and then vanishes. So for us, in this one life that we have been given... This is your Kairos moment in human history. There will never be another you. So, this is the life that you've been given. However, many years you have on this earth, this is your time. This is your one life. Have you ever been keenly aware of life, of Kairos moment? Just been so aware of a time where, where time has just stood still. For me, it was the birth of my children. Uh, When my daughter was born, about five years ago, we were we went to the hospital late one night, and then the next morning it was time, and they kicked everybody out of the room, and they said, you know, it's time for this delivery to take place. And then they looked over at me, and the nurse said, you need to go sit down. And I looked in the mirror, and I was like ghostly pale. I felt like I was about to vomit. The room was spinning. I felt like I was about to pass out. And then they were so worried about me. I think they were more worried about me than they were Jessica. And they actually gave me medicine to calm down. So I'd like to say it was tougher on me than it was Jessica. But it, it was a, it was, I'm just joking. I'm just joking. But it was this emotional experience that I was not anticipating. Because I knew something significant was happening. And once this child is born into this world, this is my responsibility. And Lord willing, on the average life, you have about 18 years, and then they usually try to go off on their own. So when Addie was born and when Christian was born, I was significantly aware of this Kairos moment. This is my one and only opportune time, my Kairos moment, to have my children under my roof, under my influence. So how will I live in such a way during this short time that we have to influence them even beyond my own life? To be so aware each day that this is a day I'll never get back. So I'm going to live in the moment. This is God's gift to us. James says, what is your life? You are a mist that appears for a little while and then vanishes. And you don't know what tomorrow will bring. So the rest of this section here. In James chapter 4 and verse 15. He says, so, instead you ought to say, if the Lord wishes, we will live and do this or that. Or some of your versions may say, I'm reading from the NRSV, some of your versions may say, if the Lord wills. And that's why we say, Lord willing. We may reference something to the future, but we always tend to follow that with a, well, Lord willing, of course, because we don't know what tomorrow will bring. So James is telling those merchants, You make plans to go do this or that, to make money, spend a year there, Lord willing. You can make those plans, but you never know what tomorrow will bring. So he says in verse 16, As it is, you boast in your arrogance, and all such boasting is evil. As human beings, we get caught up in the wrong things. We get obsessed with making money, with being comfortable, with making a name for ourselves. I don't know, whatever that may be for you, whatever your temptation is. But he says that turns to arrogance and boasting. And that's an enemy to appreciating this kairos moment that we have, this life, this opportune time. as We get caught up in the wrong things and it distracts us from our purpose. So he wraps this little section up in verse 17 and he says, Anyone then who knows the right thing to do and fails to do it commits sin. If you know what you ought to do, and yet you don't do it, that's a sin, he says. But he's been talking about not living so much in the future, but living in today. So maybe what he's saying is this right thing that you know you need to do, he's calling you to do that today, not putting it off till tomorrow. There's probably people in this room right now that maybe you've lived outside of Christ. And you, you have this tug on your heart, and you know that maybe at some point you want to venture into these baptismal waters and put on Christ in baptism, start a new life, but you keep putting it off. So maybe what God is telling you today through the words of James is, don't wait till tomorrow, do that today. Or maybe you've lived with something that you've just tolerated, some sin that's destroying you or hurting your life and your marriage, And you keep thinking, I'm going to deal with this at some point. I will ask someone to help at some point. But you're going to do that tomorrow. But maybe God's saying, let's do that today. We have this one life, this Kairos moment. And James says, you're just a mist that appears for a little while and then vanishes. So let's focus on what's important. Uh, Charles Barkley, uh, he's a former NBA player, now NBA analyst. He has this little saying, I've heard him say it multiple times, but he says, father time is undefeated. And he's referring to professional athletes who have their heyday, have their moment, they have their time, but he says, father time is undefeated, so there comes a point in every person's career where their body fails them. You can take performance enhancing drugs and try to extend it as long as you can But nature runs its course, and you have to retire, and you're not what you used to be. Father time is undefeated. And I thought of that when I was reading this section here in James. You have this one life, and we're here for such a short time, and then we're gone. But yet, sometimes we live like we're immortal. And instead of having an eternal focus, we get so caught up in worldly things, and we boast when we become arrogant about those things. But James says... Don't focus so much on tomorrow. It's okay to make plans if it's, Lord, if it's the Lord's will, but you know what you need to do. And he says, let's do that today, not tomorrow. Uh, this morning, we're going to sing a song. Uh, we're going to invite you to stand. If you need to respond, if you need to come up here, you're certainly welcome to do that. If you need to find a shepherd around this room, please do so while we stand and sing.